It is Saturday, November 13th, 2021. Last time we chatted in late 2006, the waning live journal was about to be sold to Russians, and MySpace was the most visited website. Podcasts were a novelty, and enormous monopolies of traditional media were investing and pushing the first wave of truly global social media. Tumblr and Pinterest were yet to appear, max out, and arguably disintegrate. Facebook had just barely opened up to membership outside of universities. Twitter was a novelty, little more than a sparkle in someone's tooth. The startup company YouTube was just getting acquired by Google. The startup Reddit by Condé Nast. Instagram, TikTok, and WhatsApp didn't even exist. And smartphones would take over the market in less than five years. All of these are likely to sound like historic magazines compared with social media to come. Media has exploded from a one-way medium to a billion-way medium in the last 15 years. Yet there's something old-school in the culture of exchanging information. Just like declarations from the king or monopolistic newspapers were known to panic and speculate and fear first, and when the predictions don't come true, there's just a sort of emptiness, a lack of action, a lack, dare I say, of responsibility. They didn't make time to apologize, back up, retract over the countless things they got wrong, deliberately skewed or made up entirely just to create a political situation. And so, neither do we. But this isn't just any media. It's the gadfly. And we're still trying to save the world here. So let's rewind to episodes 1 and 2 and look at everything we were doing wrong. First of all, what was our motivation for acting so ignorantly in the first place? So bold-facedly privileged in our declarations. Henning and I decided to do something proactive about this thing called the environment, and established our show. It was a fun creative effort, bouncing ideas off each other, and we thought we could style ourselves after classic entertainment. I mentioned that in two years, remember this was 2006, the Amazon was being predicted to begin dying due to drought. This raises a thousand philosophical questions about what life is besides the process of dying, and life is certainly at least one or two of those other things, I would guess, but we didn't go into that. And I did not hear any more reports about this. So on our behalf and yours, let me apologize for being alarmist about the year 2008. There is much to follow up on the situation. But on to the next item we could maybe be a little totally completely slightly wrong about. We brought up water issues and how an endorsement of the UN would be a possible solution. Today I would be tempted to say that is the most white-frame, colonially-minded, and backwards special pleading I've ever done. Look at what too much trust in entrenched European powers has brought to the world. Invasions, colonizations, genocides, multiple world wars, gain-of-function necromancy spilling disease and bad science medicine for the profit of a few and the expense of millions of innocents, pressures on Asian countries to produce toxic garbage for our consumption and their burden, and on and on. It's the World Economic Forum's vision for the world, and it stinks, of callous, calculating accountants valuing themselves above the rest of humanity and using every unapologetically sorry police state colony they've installed to shelter themselves from us. So first and foremost, I owe a deep apology to indigenous people around the world for suggesting that the biggest creators of the world's problems can be expected to be the solution. In the language of today, we might say that's a toxic suggestion. Furthermore, as investigator, researcher, documentarian, and author Stephen Newcomb has pointed out, the UN treats the word indigenous as though it merely represents a people conquered and or dominated, rather than an honorable native ancestry and sacred connection to the land, let alone a human population worthy of something besides mere recognition. English doesn't have many words of respect for native people, indigenous people, First Nations people, people who thrive against all attacks by ruthless colonizers. Let's think about how we can start not just treating these people with the respect expected of each other, 
but heap on some of the enormous respect they actually deserve for taking care of the environment, where we, those of us in the so-called Western bad habits, have largely been trying to use it up with only vague symbols of remorse at best. Secondly, I owe an apology to hippies and those of us who have been doing more than token actions, all those who have resisted and protested attacks on Earth, and have defended the Earth in word or deed. I am sorry I acted as though the Earth cannot see or determine for herself what our actions should be. And lastly, I owe an immediate apology to the European people I just slammed. They are my ancestors too, and I know that many of us have been trying to fight this sickness, this chain of abuse and callousness in our population, for many generations. We've traumatized each other and blew it out all over other populations around the world. We owe everyone a break from us, including ourselves. After we reported news without really investigating it, but merely assuming that what we were reading was true without some of the most basic criticism, something I'm doing my best to own up to, we then offered a solution. Henning speculated that something sort of related to free energy, or more specifically energy that doesn't come at the expense of the environment, could solve our needs. He did his best to explain it, and I did my best to believe he knew what he was talking about. You can try to make heads or tails of it yourself by checking out episode 1 or reading our show notes at maxime.com forward slash gadfly. By the end of the first episode, we were congratulating ourselves on symbolically assaulting ignorance, and then we offered a link to myspace.com, which I just checked and, yep, it still exists in whatever form MySpace exists now. But you know. All I can say is 2006 was long before I realized what an incredibly powerful force ignorance is and how much it was in me. I even tried an episode two in the same year that you might have seen. It came out last month. It took me 15 years to realize I could get the old flash thing exported to video and put in the feed, so yes, episode two happened, in which I apparently speculated that the ice caps would almost be gone by 2010. I said we all need to concentrate on global warming and climate change, and honestly, after actually living another decade and seeing model after model fail to predict anything remotely resembling reality, I have to conclude we do not know what change is happening, how, or even, dare I say it, if it matters. I said I was trying not to sound alarmist, even as we deliberately were sounding a sort of alarm, and I think, though we would have to catch up with Henning in his busy life to know for sure, that what's inspired Henning to say, I'm not going to worry about this anymore, and leave the show. Prophetic sentiment, Hen. Maybe you're onto something there. The flood of information continues. It flows over, around, and increasingly, if we don't get strong filters through us, morphing our experience by the daily, by the hourly, and increasingly dramatically, moving us into the streets to demand whatever it is we're demanding of each other. Let's not get started on my naive service message to purchase token carbon offset actions when it's really giant organizations doing the worst polluting of all kinds, carbon and otherwise. My process for sorting, gathering, and organizing information around the topic of respecting Earth and the environment could use some improvements. So now we come to today, and in retrospect, all the gadfly has offered is so many poor models, unanswered questions, and unconciled relationships, so much expression of pain and suffering and worry, and a declared pandemic, as mentioned earlier. There's a lot to cover if we're going to save the world. One attempt I have been making since 2018 is a podcast called I Like People, which you can also find on Apple Podcasts or at my home site, maxime.com, forward slash I Like People. It's a podcast about music, art, culture, and living in community, which at least addresses the concept that we need to get to know our community before we can decide what it's going to do about large problems. In it, I have been doing one-on-one -on -one interviews with people to come up with seven questions we can ask to save humanity. Back to our present podcast. The presumption of the gadfly is that more than one effort, more than one approach, maybe even more than one host may be needed to present a compelling case that Earth deserves more respect as a life form. 
What is the role of the Amazon rainforest in all this? The Great Barrier Reef, the human race, the English language, Apple podcasts. Let's start with the stage we're on, the one that conceptually requires respect. What is the Earth? Or perhaps, who is she? What is this place? What place? The place that we live. Well, we're in a house right now. Where's the house? It's on the ground in the southwest desert of Turtle Island. That's true. Where is Turtle Island? Earth. Earth? I mean, that's what we call that's it, That's what right? we call it, right? Or Gaia. Yeah. I am an artist in a human suit here on Earth. I'm an artist in a human suit here on Earth, too. What is the Earth? A living being, but not like any of the other living beings that are what? Air quote, scientifically a being? I agree. I think Earth is alive. What? Lava, crude oil, water. All this salt water. All of that stuff Mm. is like different types of things that keep the Earth being, which I assume is some type of body. I mean, I don't know, but... I've heard speculation that crystals hold some kind of memory or that crystals can grow in one place and then the opposite side of the world, that new pattern that shows up in the first crystal will show up in the other crystal, even though they're not even connected to one another. As if Yeah, but some if they're of... connected to the earth, there is a connection that we don't want to... It's like if, if your freckle on your head did something that the freckle on your foot did the same thing, like we'd be like, oh, that's weird that they both did the same thing. But you're like, no, because they're both on the body. There you go. And that's how I see that. I think that makes sense. It almost doesn't seem important what the Earth objectively is, what it looks like from the so-called outside, because if we can't go outside really to see it, if NASA's depictions of the Earth are all computer-generated and photoshopped, and that's what it seems like they are, and there's all this strange conflicting evidence for what the Earth actually is, Do we need to know? I mean, no, we don't need to know, but I mean, goodness gracious, I want to know. I want to know so bad. I want to know from like an outside perspective of whatever you want to call it, if you're off of the globe, as they tell you, or outside of the firmament, as other people will tell you. I'd love to know what this place was and where's the rest of it. You leave and you're saying, what was that place? Because when I, I assume when we leave our human suits, our souls or spirits would be like, Oh, like, well, yeah, I know what that was. But, like, here in your human suit, I genuinely want to know. Me too. Do you think we're supposed to know? Maybe we can only know when we die. Yeah, maybe we're not supposed to know. But, I mean, people get abducted. And UFOs apparently hang out outside of Earth. People apparently get taken away from this place and put back in their bodies. Right, so if you can... But then, I mean, then we open a whole other can of worms. It's like, does this only exist in a certain dimension? If you leave this dimension, can you not see it from another dimension? I mean, it gets really fuzzy. (laughs) It gets very fuzzy. I was looking at the planets. Yeah. And I was noticing that in the telescope, they look very, very bright and glowy. Yeah. And it's very difficult to make out anything that NASA shows with, like, the swirling clouds and all that. But seems to me they're round. They're spherical. Are you classifying stars as planets, too? Yeah. Let's say stars and planets and all those. Because there's those ones where people take 
photographs. I don't know if it's with a telescope or just like a really advanced camera. Because I know there's one specific camera that people are like, this doesn't make any sense that this camera takes better pictures than NASA. But they always show the stars as like weird, glowy, colorful things that are kind of round, but just don't even look how you would think that they should. Well, that, I suppose, could be just the limitations of our equipment, right? Could be. That exists in this dimension. (laughs) I'm sorry, your camera doesn't work over there. This is what it looks like from your dimension. The the moon, though. Clearly ball-like, or dish, but but in some way rounded, concave, convex. Yeah. It looks as though, I would say, it's like a convex, ball-like thing from our dimension looking at the moon dimension. So can we assume that we too look like that from the moon? We're assuming it's a ball because it's round. Just because you see a ball over there, it could it could just be a plate. Like, I think it's kind of silly to assume that it's a ball, that it goes all the way around. Sure, maybe there's a multidimensional equivalent that we can't even comprehend. Exactly. And we That's, see a ball, Yep. but when we go to it, it's like... Oh, it's a hypersphere! What is this? Or what do you call the one that you... What is that? Fiber optic cable? Fiber optic cable donut. (laughs) Okay, so now we're getting into it. We're getting into the big question of what is the shape of the Earth that people are arguing about. Yeah, because I don't trust NASA any further than I can throw it, and I think they're evil and horrible. (laughs) I wouldn't trust anything that they say, even though you've told me that some of the stuff they say is based on working equations and theories. I think that you can confirm a lot of their stuff. Okay. But they also put a bunch of information behind a sort of a a cryptographic wall. And that information you can't verify, such as certain theories about rocket dynamics that they claim it's not really... They they say it's to protect the public, that that they've hidden Formula X of the fuel. Wait, what? You're right. So... There's a certain amount of information that the public can confirm with the limited dimension equipment that we have. And then there's the information that they either are keeping secret or they've just made up. Right. Well, basically, my point is the fact that NASA calls it a ball. I just I I won't even believe that it's a ball at all. Okay. So what do I think it is? Yeah. I think it's flat. But is it flat, flat? I have no idea. They they did the they drilled like really really deep holes and they assumed if the ball I mean if the ball Earth theory thing was true that the deeper the like the lines that they put down into the Earth they'd come closer together but they found that it was opposite. We're talking about Earth's concavity. Basically, there were two big experiments that showed Earth is inside out and that we're like inside a shell, and when we look up at the sky. We're actually looking towards the center of the Earth, maybe through some kind of dimensional portal that lets us look into the universe. But um, it's the upward curving land evidence. A cult in Florida set out on an ambitious experiment to measure Earth's shape, and they discovered, to the best of their ability, the curve was a rise rather than a drop of approximately 8 U.S. imperial inches per U.S. imperial mile. This corresponds to an inversion of the expected result if Earth were convex. In other words, Earth's surface rose at a rate that would lead to the prediction that Earth is a hollow bubble with the same dimensions and the same continents and everything, but 
instead of rounded way on the outside it's like rounded on the inside inside. yeah okay and it also corresponds to the size of earth's approximately eight thousand mile diameter like an eight thousand mile ball the one you were talking about that was the mine shaft experiment the tamarack mines and there are many people trying to debunk it and saying that it's not a valid argument but how could they debunk it well they claim that there were magnetics at work that they don't that they don't understand but the debunkers never explain what those magnetics are. So it seems like a lot of hand-waving. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it sounds like. We'll, we'll just pretend that it's somebody like NASA who's like, no, 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 don't look over there, it's wrong, and we said it was wrong. Yes, that's a very consistent thing that's hap- that happens. Now, if you want to believe in the convexity, pretty much the government stories are the best evidence. And unfortunately, the government doesn't have the best track record for telling people the truth about pretty much any subject. However, there are two things that keep coming up in debates about the shape of the Earth. One is that it loops as a surface. Now, that could work the same in a concave model. For example, you go from the North Pole to the South Pole, and you keep heading that same direction, and you end up at the North Pole again, and it's all very predicted at the right amount of miles. That same thing would happen whether it's inside out or outside in or or what we are told it is. So that looping action is pretty problematic for a a flat thing, unless it loops infinitely in every direction and it's, but it's still flat. Well, the way I think about it, and I don't know if this goes with what you're saying, but it's that, you know, people like to talk about what is it? The UN logo is basically how earth would look if you were looking down on it as a globe but flat. Mm -hmm. So Antarctica would be like the wall, which people talk about. Mm. And the North Pole is in the top or is middle center of like the flat circle, you know? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. The problem with that is like flying from, let's say, Perth, Australia to Christmas Island. It would be forever. It would take much much longer longer. than it actually takes. No, I know. But to me, that's the only one that makes the most sense in a flat aspect. So you would just assume that but I, like you said, it's ways that we can't comprehend. I see. So me existing in this human suit is pretty dang magical that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I assume that the earth is equally as magical and I would leave openness for, well, the part that my human brain doesn't understand. I'm going to say there's a bunch of magic packed in it. And I know that sounds really like ridiculous, but... Well, that makes me go back to the possibility that the UN flag model, where the middle of the map is like the North Pole, that is what the world would look like from the North Pole. However, if let's say you go to the equator in Ecuador, for example, then you shift the center of the map to be Ecuador, then the map still might be flat, but it just warps in the same way relative to that center position. And that's similar to my my idea that it loops infinitely flat in every direction. You know that it's like a camera or a filter or something that you take a, a picture. It's like a 360 picture, but basically it curves all of it to make it look like where you're standing is like a tiny little world. Yes. That's what it, you're making it sound like, which I think is completely plausible because it doesn't actually have to make sense to us. All the evidence certainly doesn't add up to something that easily makes sense to us. No. There's a, there's the other problem of the 
of people who want to argue that it's not convex, people who are arguing for concave or flat or things like that, and that is that things disappear beyond the horizon. Now, people claim that if you take a telescope and you zoom in, and you zoom in and you zoom in, you can actually recover things above the horizon. And people arguing against that claim that that's merely optics and that you're not actually recovering anything, nor are you losing anything past the horizon. It's merely just like blurring, merging. No, that happening. doesn't make any sense because people have literally talked about, or there's like photographs of like the Chicago skyline, for example, is X amount of miles long or something. Mm -hmm. And you should see a curve. And you shouldn't be able to see it from, like, the other side of some lake or something. I oh, don't remember well, what it well, was. Well, they'll cite refraction. They'll say that, oh, because... Well, that seems like a lot of excuses for their little lies, in my opinion. It is an interesting idea that... Oh, the mirror got caught in the sun, and now it's twinkling in your eyes and you can't see it. You're like, well, then stop shining a mirror in my eyes. <laughs> I think that I'm prepared to give this horizon seems to hide objects thing to the convex believers simply because the only other thing they have is the looping surface and the government stories, and the government stories are pretty weak. So that means they only have the looping surface. Oh, wait, they also have the fact that if you look up in the sky, things look like balls, so maybe they think that we're a ball too. Right. Okay, so those are the main arguments for that one. Now let's get to flat and still. Because there's a heck of a lot of evidence for flat and still. Right, which is why it's so upsetting when you talk about it and people just think you're freaking brain dead. Well, I think it's just, it makes them feel calm that, that there's this model out there that the government supports and says, okay, you don't have to think about all those other things. Here's the model. Because as soon as you disrupt that and you say, you know what, we might not have a model, that makes people who are religiously adherent to the quote-unquote popular science... Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Well, I'm sorry. This place is uncomfortable, and I hope you get used to it. So here's one of the problems. The star field and the planets all rotate precisely as if the Earth itself rotated, causing our frame of reference to rotate every 24 hours. And this would be a comfortable explanation for Earth rotating, but this is kind of in contrast with the physics. In other words, we're not leaning towards the equator, because if something is spinning everything goes out towards the thing that's moving the fastest on that spinning object. We don't see that. Gravity doesn't increase or decrease dramatically when you go up to a pole or when you go to the equator. Things don't lean towards the equators. Gravity seems to work perfectly straight up and down. What about like a volcano erupting? The smoke doesn't appear to like come out and start going one direction as right. if the volcano was moving away from the smoke that just came out. Yeah. Exactly. And you could and you could argue that about helicopters and planes and everything. It's all just based on wind mm -hmm. and weather. There isn't actually any earth moving beneath right. the air. Yeah. Some people say, well, but there's these uh, swinging pendulums and there's weather patterns that kind of indicate. But it's like you're seeing that that physics is just very subtle when it comes to the spinning earth, but everything else, you know, physics is super overt and immutable. That's very strange. That's not consistent. I don't know enough consistent. about physics to say anything about that. The earth's rotation is apparently measured by the, the Sanyak effect. They did this test with lasers and, and light particles, and they said, okay, well, we've proven that there's some kind of rotation of the frame. But 
Unfortunately, that still doesn't mean that physics is acting as if we rotate. So what do we do? What do we do with this information? If Earth is a living being, it's one that doesn't move? It's one that's very still? Well, why not? I mean, it's not the best example, but like a tree doesn't move. So what do you think of the Mount Miru legend where we all came down from a big old tree or mountain, the earth is flat, and it's like these rings of water and land and water and land and water and land. There are many, 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 many ancient legends about that, and the flood as well, this like flood event that happened. I'm definitely interested in that because there's so many representations of that, and they, for whatever reason, make a lot of sense to me. What Where we... did we come from, though? I don't know. Source, I assume, is at the top. Yes, and it seems some people claim that they came out of caves, and some people came from the stars. We all came to Earth for some reason, maybe from different directions. Absolutely. If that's the case, and yet many people believe in a sort of a ascension object, like a tree or a mountain, or maybe it's metaphorical or spiritual, does that mean we have a hint at sort of a larger biological function of the earth. And maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Are you saying, because earlier I said lava, you know, crude oil and water yeah. along with other things are helping keep the earth alive and functioning. Are you suggesting that humans also do the same thing? I think we do. Maybe we keep the earth alive and functioning in some weird way we can't comprehend that involves our thoughts and our stories. Absolutely. This is this is super interesting. We've never talked about this. Water, oil, lava. Even even air, we could say are things like the things inside of us like our nervous system or our veins full of blood, you know? But what if the humans are actually a part of it somehow? What if humans because we're not like the strongest animal we're not the largest animal. We're not the most numerous animal. But we have stories. What if we are Earth's storytellers? It grows. Earth could be growing. We don't know that. Actually, there is also the, the whole story about how all the continents appear to fit together on right. a smaller sphere. Right. Which well, is that, almost like... Yeah, it could, have, it could be growing. It's almost like the Earth is breathing out or like taking in a breath. And expanding. Right. Maybe it'll shrink again. Or maybe it'll just grow and grow like a, like an egg grows. Or Yeah, a, why not? Yeah. Maybe Earth thinks it's really funny that we don't know what she is. She's like, okay, you guys, that's funny. I don't really care anyway. If she's in touch with us as if we could be in touch with our own cells. Right. And we could talk to our cells and yeah. we tried to explain to the cells, this is what you're doing. They might be like, that's too big for me to think about. I'm just delivering oxygen right now. Right. Or, well, I mean, there's lots of things that say, like, our human forms are so intricately dependent on Earth that your human suit can't exist anywhere else. So, I mean, we are very much, in my opinion, connected to her. I would agree. So, uh, it's possible you could tap in and have a conversation with her. I don't know how, if you're some sort of medium. I think that should be something that we try to do. Something that's always concerned me, and the whole reason I started this podcast, was the Amazon rainforest. 
there is a lot of good happening right now. For example, there's news lately that the indigenous people protecting the Peruvian rainforest and the Amazon have been able to get some victories suing the governments abusing the land. They've been able to petition at United Nations types events to demand uh, that their rights are recognized as the rightful caretakers of the land. And they've been clearly showing that corporations are just don't get it. And like even now, uh, I've heard that in the island of Hawaii, they are proving that the U.S. Navy has dumped a bunch of crappy poisonous jet fuel right into the source of natural water. Mm-hmm. And they're claiming, oh, no, that was the the fuel in the water is hurting you. It's not the U.S. Navy's fuel getting in the water. It's really backwards and confusing how they try to Wait, argue. what? Repeat that? They say, how is the fuel the getting in the fuel isn't hurting you. It's the, it's this the water that has fuel in it that's hurting you. Well, how did the fuel get in the water? Exactly. Because there's a definite place of natural water that's clean that's coming out for drinking, and it seems as if there's a deliberate measure to poison it. Is there something in the rainforest that is very divine, very needing to be protected and nobody actually wants to step in and do that except for the people who are from there. I think that we all have the ability and the capacity to defend the land in some way. But do you get what I'm saying? We can go as far as saying like, is there an inner earth opening or something, you know, like, right. Or can you literally find something that would give you this amazing evidence about earth that, It'd be like, well, if they just destroyed that, then it kind of gets lost. It and could also simply be the the fact that it's so awe-inspiring and so wonderful mm-hmm. that simply traveling there and going there and experiencing it changes you. Why is the rainforest the one that's always under attack? I think that everywhere is under attack. Well, that's true. It's just that some places have not been quite as defiled. And in some ways... Even though there's lots of nature in the north of Turtle Island, for example, where it's frozen and icy, it doesn't have the same enticement for resources and greens and plants and things. There's just a kind of automatic behavior of, of greediness, I think, that keeps what, happening. What do you get from the rainforest besides wood? Probably extremely huge pocket of diversity, which creates, recreates, and protects life. I think there's a lot of things that we could ask the native people who live there. I'd say there's probably an infinite amount of holistic plants, herbs, things like that, that would be beneficial and a wonderful alternative to Big Harma. What if this place is a school? And that's like the library. If you destroy the library, you're destroying knowledge. You're destroying the incredible life lessons that are built into nature. Hmm. You can tear apart a book and repaste it on the walls and turn it upside down and turn it into what you want it to be. And that would be kind of a national park, right? It's not really nature anymore. It's converted from wilderness into some tamed landscape thing. Perhaps that is the way that evil forces distract us from the knowledge that's inherent in wilderness and 
in the power of nature and natural beings that by disrupting them we're we're uh, losing you can trim back bushes as much as you want but the second that you take away the humans who are trimming the bushes nature's gonna just take over again you haven't taken away any like the grand canyon yes there are railings and pathways and all these things up up around the top above the grand canyon but you you can't do anything to tame it in my opinion unless you kill it I don't think that they've killed the national parks. I don't think they've killed national parks, but they don't really care for the land. They dump things. I mean, they talk about conservation, but they also push oh. the native caretakers out. Oh. You see, so they're kind of like... Okay. They're telling you that we're helping conserve mm -hmm. this land, but we're not actually. But they're not doing it the way that is so connected to right, yes. thousands of years of wisdom that's been gained from caring for the land. Well, I think you and I can both agree that the way that this place should be taken care of has been completely disconnected from but, the humans. But I also agree with you that, yeah, and <laughs> I mean, if, if humans it's all coming things, back. Yeah, if humans let things go and let things slide yeah. and stop doing what they're doing to quote unquote tame nature or, or engineer it in some way for their benefit or what they think is their benefit, you're going to end up with nature ruling. So the question that comes back to my mind is if we're protecting nature, what does it mean to protect the rainforest? What does it mean to protect the great barrier reef and all these things that we might see as these prized libraries of information of natural information Besides re just respect, what is the point of protecting nature and wilderness and wildlife and things like that? And respect is good enough for me. That's certainly what it feels like to me. I don't need to justify it. Why are you asking then what it is that needs to be justified? Because I want to talk to the audience and have them ask these questions. I want them to. I want them to understand that it's not just about E.O. Wilson and conservationist writers saying uh well we want to be able to hunt deer and ducks and that's why we preserve nature in these national parks nasa may be able to explain a model and say that it's a globe and this is what it looks like that doesn't necessarily take away the mystery and the mystery doesn't necessarily take away the sacredness I mean, we should just have basic freaking respect for Earth because I believe everything is so dependent on her health, wellness, and existence, period. If we don't know what she looks like, can we still take care of her? Can we still... You don't have to, you don't have to know what she looks like to take care of her. What you see is her. Right. Anywhere you go... Is yeah. her. I mean, even this house that we're in is her. Mm. These bricks came from her. Mm -hmm. Is the U.S. Navy base that's dumping jet fuel into the natural aquifers of Hawaii, is that also her? Uh, unfortunately, it is her. One of those things, it's like, you can, and if you make a mixture of them that is toxic, mm -hmm. yeah, that's destructive. I mean, so that's a deliberate, I mean, yes, it is Earth. It's not evil, necessarily. It's completely disconnected from source. Source being... Whatever created the Earth being. I'm our creator, you're our creator. Earth is our creator. Being disconnected from the creator puts you in a place to be blinded by things that 
if you come here and you're in your human suit, you don't know where you came from, you don't know what this place is, it's easy to get swallowed up in the system that already exists here, which is very unnatural. But there's also a natural system that the unnatural system is trying to suppress and hide and destroy. The uh, Those of us in the traumatized unnatural system have gone and tried to extinguish those people and say that's not right anymore. It's not like you can just go, okay, it's gone. You're fighting against a system that doesn't want the natural system to come to the top. So they're going to fight you, but it doesn't mean they're going to win. The plan is incomprehensible, in my opinion, at least in a human suit. But for me, it's about respect and acting on respect. Yes. And it does equate to me, not in recycling programs, which have been so broken, and not in carbon sequestering programs, which are so corrupt, but in the individual choices we make as consumers, I, I do see importance in that. I always try to choose organic first, less processed, close to whole food, things that are nutritious and come from natural ways instead of ways that deplete the soil. I know that seems so minor, but maybe if consciousness is what we're supposed to have for the earth, the action is amplified, not by numbers of people doing it, but by the intention behind the action. I believed at some point it was necessary to tell people, stop thinking that the unnatural system is going to work, that nature has already lost. Humans just simply must change into some unnatural form. All these sort of behaviors like, well, I just want my computer. It's full of toxic metals, but I need it. I need to be able to listen to podcasts. I would argue then you have a great need to want to wake people up to everything that you just said. I'm sorry to say this. It's not your job. It isn't. And I think Henning discovered that early on, which is why he left the show. <laughs> I think he was like, you know what? I'm not going to worry about this. It's a much bigger dance, a much bigger symphony that is taking place. The person you said, I want my computer. I want my special custom built keyboard. I want all my processed foods. Right. They're a part of this dance and this symphony mm. that as hard as it may seem, their spirit came into this human suit to go through something mm. that you may be completely unaware of. And the universe is trying every day to get them what they want, what they need, and to rise up above where they are. Outside of the grand symphony that is this place, this universe, there's an infinite amount of little symphonies going on. You're a symphony going on, and I'm a symphony going on, that's being orchestrated, if you will. Not in a way that is sinister or, oh, your life is planned out for you, because you have free will. But you're going through a cycle here on this place that's also going through a cycle. Collectively, we're also going through that cycle together. It's not your job to shake Larry and tell him, put the Big Mac down. But it might be my job if Larry starts pointing a gun at people who are trying to defend the land 
to slap that gun out of his hand and okay, say, Larry, not, okay, but, you need to go to jail. Okay, but that's not the same. You're, I think you're wanting to put Larry in a place of government power, which we're not. I'm literally talking about a neighbor in this neighborhood. Okay. I mean, there's not a Larry here, but I'm, you know, I'm just saying it's some dude in his house. He's got his Prius, goes to his job. Thinks he's saving the world because he has an electric car or something. Yeah. Are we doing enough to stop the government and the and the bad stuff and the violence by simply being aware and being thankful and uh, recognizing the sacredness of this being that we that we are a part of absolutely and i know that a lot of people would say that's a freaking cop out you're not doing anything but i think that's completely false the fact that you and i can hold an awareness of something that a million other people can't I think it's very important. We're much more powerful than anyone wants to have you believe that you are. It's almost in, as the, if... in the system. You know, people outside of the system are like, you're freaking amazing. You're powerful. You're healing. You can, you know, control the universe with your mind. It's almost as if we just need to be the mountain holding the information. And as we grow in number, people recognizing that the universe is a plot for us, not against us, are taking part in this, as you call it, like sacred uh, music. The more we won't even have to dismantle or destroy anything, because it will just naturally fall apart. It just won't have the power. It won't have the convincing, hypnotic story in our heads. I think there's a lot of trauma involved with thinking that you must constantly be doing you must be screaming about something. You must be donating to a cause. You must be actively walking in a protest. You better be signing a petition. You better be telling people that you're recycling because you are recycling. You know, all of these things, right? There's, there's a trauma in thinking that you must be doing. If you take care of yourself, if you work on yourself, you are helping everything. Well, in that case, the best thing that we could do, instead of trying to make a podcast about saving the world, is utilize our imaginations to inspire ourselves and each other to reawaken to nature. Thanks for chatting. Well, thank you for joining me. The music for this episode was produced by Peggy and Tito for Lore Avu, my comic that tries to inspire people to reconnect to nature. To check out that project, visit loravu.com, L-O-R-A-V-V-U.com. For more information and show notes and about this podcast, go to maxime.com forward slash gadfly. Thank you.
I'm gonna be right now. 